Well, hello and welcome back to Earth Like Heaven. My name is Doug Ressler and joining me as always is Robbie Sherry. And we are here to help you close the gap between heaven and earth in your life by learning to live like Jesus. Robbie, the last couple of episodes, we sort of dug in a little bit as to how we um, tap into the resources that God gives us to handle adversity in our lives, handle suffering in our lives, handle trials in our lives. And we, we kind of began that whole conversation talking about, you know, sort of the chaos in our world, the things that we don't right. really have control over, things that, uh, you know, whether it's natural disasters or um, these kinds of things, random events, um, you know, terminal illnesses, diseases like cancer, things that go haywire that, again, we that there's there's no necessarily a, a reason as to why those things happen or, or a reason that we can discern as to why those things happen. They just do in a broken world, in a fallen world that we live in. But then I think you have to turn and deal with what, what about the stuff that we do to ourselves? So it was Edmund Burke, right, who talked about man's inhumanity to man knows mm-hmm. no bounds. And um, I've seen that on display. I'm sure you have oh, as yeah. well in different ways. I mean... Uh, one of the things that always strikes me when I go to these, uh, a lot of the countries that I go to is so much of the suffering that is taking place there is a result of injustice. It's a result of a political leader who um, is robbing and stealing his pe- from his people to such a degree that they're starving. It's... it's um, the lack of the rule of law. It's like when you call the police over there, you're not sure if you're going to get someone that's going to help you or someone who's going to rob you or beat you or rape you if you're a woman. You know, those kinds of things. I've been in those countries. I've spent a lot of time in those countries. And the rule of law, that's something I will never take for granted here in the United States ever again. Like the fact that I can call 911 and get a police officer to my house to, to, to help me is, is, and an unbelievable gift. But yet, even in, in certain communities across our country, of course, that's not always the case. There right. are certain communities, marginalized communities, where depending on your ethnicity or depending on your economic station in life or whatever it might be, right, you don't see the police as your ally, as someone who will come and help you, but you are sort of viewed with them with suspicion for, for whatever the reasons have been. Maybe you've experienced injustice in your life. I think about the African-American friends that I've got that talk about when they become parents, how they have to have the talk with their kids. And they're ta- not talking about sex. They're talking about the talk before they start driving. And keep your hands at 10 and 2 and make sure you don't make any sudden movements and those kinds of things. And then, of course, I think about the police officers I know who have to have the talk with their kids and their family about, like, what's going to happen when they walk out the door and the danger that they're putting themselves in. And why do we even have police? We have police because injustice exists in our world. People do bad things to other people. And so we have to grapple with that. We have to wrestle with that. What happens when you become a victim of injustice either because of you just happen to be the closest bystander or it maybe it's maybe it does have to do with your race maybe it has to do with your I don't like to use the term race but ethnicity that's uh-huh. the biblical term for it ethnos right, right? so I like to, I prefer that term but ethnicity or economic station or um, uh, you know maybe it's your sexuality members of the LGBTQ community who've experienced uh, injustice there's all kinds of marginalized groups out there and of course there's a lot of focus right now in our culture on marginalization the intersection of those margins and how all that plays itself out when it comes to our justice system and those kinds of things. Um, Maybe that's been your experience, or like I said, maybe it's just been just the injustice of living in this world, living under a regime that, you know, is corrupt 
you know, and, and you look at some of the things that we see coming out of Washington, D.C., you know, in, in the last couple of administrations. And, you know, again, it's like, what is going on in our yeah. world? Again, Republican, Democrat, there seems to be enough corruption to go around on some level. Um, and uh, that kind of thing. I even, I've even heard people talk in our last election cycle about the lesser of two evils or the last couple of election cycles, the lesser of two evils. And I'm like, how are we in a place where we, that's our choice. Yeah. The lesser of two evils. Well, like, can we get to a place where like, maybe we're not having to choose evil at all? Like, is that like an outcome that we could get to? Good or better. Right. You know, is there, is there like, is that a possibility on some level? What do we do when power, which tends to corrupt and absolute power corrupts absolutely. What do you do when people who are, get used to handling power, like, you know, tend to stay in power and benefit from that power, whether it's, you know, someone at the head of a church, let's say, like the pastor, like someone in my position, right? I know right. pastors in my position who abuse their authority, right? And because they are so used to exercising it over long periods of time and within the same community, or mm-hmm. it's some a CEO of a corporation, or it's a teacher in a classroom, or it's a politician. It doesn't really matter. Anybody that's given any amount of power has the opportunity to use that power for good and in a just way and in an honest way, or to use it for evil and in an unjust way and in a dishonest way. And sadly, so often, I don't know if it's the majority of the time, I don't think it is, but so often, enough to at least be, you know, you notice it, enough that it makes an impact. Injustice is what we choose. Well, let's talk first, again, philosophically. Okay. All right. Why is that, Robbie? Why is man's, why does man's inhumanity to man, just to use that Edmund Burke quote, yeah. no, no bounds? Well, first I'd, I think with these, and this is well, a... Well, first, a, you should be impressed that I just quoted Edmund Burke to you off the cuff. I am impressed, okay, off the you. cuff. As an he, English you know, yeah, teacher, I, 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 I want some credit Very, there. very yeah, impressed okay. that man's inhumanity yeah. to man knows no bounds, thank for sure. Yeah. Let's define some terms. Yes, let's do that. Right, what, what is justice and right. what is injustice? That's, okay. that's where I think I'd like to start. Really important because there are secular uh, versions of that. Right. And then there are biblical versions versions of that we are a christian podcast right lifting up the way of jesus talking about yes. how so how does jesus define justice robbie right to love mercy and walk humbly with thy god okay yes <laughs> yes yeah, right micah 6 8 yeah. yes right i think so when it comes to justice there's it's it's, it's a legal term mm-hmm. right and this it's the idea of conformity to the law okay and upholding the law yep. and the and even why, that, even that, right, is not the end goal. Not what the is end the goal. what does the law want? What is the law after? The law is after our hearts yes. to draw us near yeah. to God, right. wholeness, from, shalom. Shalom. Right? Yeah. yeah, that's right. You follow the law, and there's a sense in which like shalom will be created, right? So this is the the Christian, yes, justice. absolutely right. So yeah. I think where we we run into interesting, um, it's like things are lost in translation when you when you come at something from a Christian point of view, and you go, well, I. I've got the Christian perspective of justice. Right. And then you run into this sort of secular legal idea mm-hmm. of justice. And when people conflate those two, yep. particularly, I would say, secular people who try mm-hmm. to take the justice of God, right. who they don't ordinarily subscribe to, mm-hmm. and apply it to a social that's sort right. of justice thing. Yep. That's when we get this Without God. They like try to like take right. God out of the equation and yet still yes. apply the principle, right? Yeah. Yeah. So from a Christian perspective, this idea of abiding by submitting to the law of God for the sake of shalom, of wholeness, of um, getting back to Eden, Mm -hmm. if you will. I think that's the Christian idea of justice. Injustice, then, is anything which violates, adulterates, or prevents that. 
Mm-hmm. Would you agree? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Anything that would violate shalom. Yeah. Yeah. So then when it comes to social, our social construct of justice, right? where I think we've misinterpreted that term is we've applied it, we've applied this moral idea mm-hmm. to this legal concept in our culture. Mm-hmm. So people feel like they've been, they've experienced injustice. And when you ask why, they'll say things like, well, that's not fair. Mm-hmm. That doesn't make me feel good. That, um, that, that hurts me in some way, shape or form. And, and so that's why I always struggle with this because it's, I want to speak the same language as the person. Yeah. Say, are, right. we, are we talking about God's law? Are we talking about right. justice? Because I'm, I'm supposed to love widows and yep. orphans right. and love my neighbor as myself. Mm-hmm. And I'm supposed to die to self and mm-hmm. all these things. Or are you saying that you think that you deserve mm-hmm. more money for something because you feel like you work really hard and it's not fair because your neighbor works and makes more money than you or something like that. There's a weird amalgamation of, of this idea yeah, of justice, like, I suppose. Yeah. You're a teacher, right? And you often yeah. hear, you know, the, the, in the society, we feel like our teachers are underpaid and, and teachers by and large are based upon the value that they contribute to society. But on some level, like they, so I've heard people say, well, you know, like these professional athletes make millions and our teachers make pittance, you know, in comparison, and right. it's like, that's an injustice, right? You know, right. like, like we should flip it, you there know, you on go. some level. And it's like, well, so let's even back up even further. I think you hit on something here. First of all, I think you got to start with what is the goal of justice? Yes. So if, if the biblical goal of justice is shalom, I don't think the secular goal of justice is shalom. I agree with As you. As I listen to people talk, the secular goal for justice is, is not the shalom of society as much as it is the person um, getting, um, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Like recompense or getting, yes. um, getting, getting uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Um, Reparation. Re- reparation. Yeah. Let's take, taking that out of the current, you know, sort of political like debate. It's me getting a reparation for something that I have experienced that has been negative. Yes. And, and very, very globally, very blanketly. And it doesn't matter if that reparation comes at the expense of someone else. Hmm. As long as I get it, I've received justice. So it's really more, I get to, I need to experience justice and it doesn't matter if it comes at the expense of someone else. Cause I'm not really after the shalom of society. Right. Just I'm just, I'm just after like what I think I deserve. So wow. here's a great global example of this amazing experience I had. I was over in Ethiopia last fall and I'm at an internally displaced people's camp and an internally displaced people's camp is a, is essentially a refugee camp, but, but, within the boundaries of the country country where you live, right? You're a refugee if you're outside those boundaries. Right. If you're inside the boundaries of the country where where you're a native, you go into these internally displaced people. That's what they call you. So it's refugee outside the country, inside the country, it's IDPs, internally displaced people. So I'm in this camp. Horrific conditions. Like the worst that I have ever seen in my life, and I've seen a lot of things, the absolute worst things I have ever seen. So we go there with an Ethiopian um, aid worker, who has three master's degrees, sociology, political philosophy, and something else. I can't remember what the third thing was. Brilliant, brilliant dude. Works with the UN Refugee Agency, um, you know, the high, the high, high command refugee, whatever that, I can't remember the acronym that they use there. Works with the UN when it comes to the refugees, works with all kinds of aid groups, all kinds of different things. And I was just asking his perspective. I said, okay, so we are in a, we're in a part of the country that a year prior to us going in was in the midst of a civil war. 
Right. Okay. Tribal conflict, all kinds of, you know, pain. This city that we were in had been looted by rebel forces, recaptured by government forces. And that's where we were a year later. And that's where this IDP camp was located. So we go out with this guy to the IDP camp. We're walking around, you know, getting a view on things, talking about all the injustices in that IDP IDP camp, whether it's, you know, food insecurity, it's um, the rape of and sexual harassment of women and children in particular. Um, These kinds of things are happening in that camp, right? And so I'm talking to the guy and I'm like, well, tell me, like, tell me like what, what is the UN doing? Because the UN's in charge of this camp. Like what's the UN doing to try and, to try and like mitigate these things, yeah. to try and bring justice to this camp. You know, he's like, well, they don't do anything. And I was like, well, why not? And he goes, well, let me tell you like what the UN's, how we experience the UN's philosophy here in Ethiopia. He goes, the UN divides the, takes a very Marxist approach to justice. Okay. They divide the world up into oppressed and oppressors. And he goes, because uh, the government is you know, made up of the Oromia tribe, they are the oppressors because they have access to all the power politically Okay. versus the Tigray who are the oppressed. They were the rebel forces. They were the yeah. ones who initiated the civil war. And oh, by the way, it doesn't matter that the Tigray were in power for 20 plus years and only benefited largely their own tribe, their own tribal members and all gotcha. those kinds of things. It doesn't matter. Like all that's forgotten because now... The Oromia are in, are in power, so yeah. they're the oppressors. The Tigray are the oppressed, so the Tigray get the resources from the UN, and the Oromia don't. Interesting. And, and, I, and I was like, that is so fascinating to me. And I said, well, why do you think they do it? He goes, because the UN, now this was his read, is heavily invested in keeping conflict going. Because if conflict is going, then they get called in and they get to have power. And he goes, and no so, when you, no so, so when you divide the world up into oppressed and oppressors, justice for the oppressed has to come at the expense of the oppressors. Sure. And all you do is end up flipping the tables, and then the oppressors become the oppressed, yeah. the oppressed become the oppressors. He goes, and he was you know, a, a great admirer of Nelson Mandela uh-huh. in South Africa. He goes, that's what made Mandela such a genius. Right. Was that he did not divide the world up into that those two categories, even though he, you know, the ANC is largely Marxist. The yeah. group that he came from and represented was largely Marxist. Like he did not do that. What did he do? As a Christian, he offered forgiveness, forgiveness. and yeah, reconciliation. And he and Desmond Tutu established the Truth and Reconciliation Commission, right. which was an attempt to try and bring shalom to a society where so much injustice had reigned. And of course, that's all broken down, sadly, with the death of Mandela, with the death of of uh, Tutu yeah. uh, recently, like a lot of that stuff is broken down in South Africa, but you still see those efforts alive in places like Rwanda and some of these things where friends of mine are heavily engaged in the truth and reconciliation work there. Um, you see that, uh, you know, but in our, in, in the U.S., what have we seen? We've seen a rise of sort of that same philosophy, that same understanding that um, justice for me, by definition, means injustice for you. Right. And I don't, I I guess at some level, I understand the feeling yes, behind that, right. but I don't understand the rationality right. behind it. Because like you said, all that does is then flip the tables. That's right. And now I'm going to feel like I'm the oppressed. Right. And we're going to play this endless cycle. That's so exactly right. The Going back to the question of, so defining the terms, if we're, I think when people talk about, oh, that was so unjust, mm-hmm. I always have to pause and go, what what do you mean by that? That's right. To to make sure that we're speaking the same language, and like you said, if 
if someone just basically is telling me I didn't get what I wanted, right, and I'm really frustrated that other people got what they wanted, right, then I think you you have to sort of pause and say, well, why is that, right, and is the reason rational, and is it really injustice? No. It could be. It could be. It could be, or maybe it's not. Correct. And so then again, presses you deeper to say like, so what? What are your expectations? Why do you have those expectations? What informs those expectations? Totally. And for the Christian, of course, as we approach this subject of justice and injustice and these kinds of things, like I can easily acknowledge and often do like as a white male, like I have benefited tremendously from a society that on some level is set up for my success. Like I've never had to like question not getting a job because of my gender, right? Or because of my ethnicity, right? I have absolutely have friends, women and people who are, you know, different ethnicities, not get jobs because of those things. Right. Sure. Um, and, and, and out of a desire to correct those injustices, I've now had several friends who are white also not get jobs or whatever, not get advanced in the military or something along those lines. Right. I mean, like these kinds of things are happening. This is not about comparing which is worse or which is better. Like that's a different conversation and that involves a whole lot of history and that we don't have time for that. Um, But I just want to acknowledge and put that forward, like that all of us on some level, privilege is something that you experience to some degree or another, depending upon a lot of factors in your life. It, you know, like the fact that I have parents who did not get divorced is a certain, gives me a certain level of privilege, right? The fact that I grew up in a middle-class home with, with fairly strong economic stability. We weren't rich. My parents are right. both teachers, but we had stability, them, right? That. that gives me, that gives me a certain level of privilege, right? I mean, that's why you were able to do that quote earlier. That's right. That's right. Exactly. <laughs> See? Yeah. So, I mean, I think these are things you have to acknowledge. And so for the Christian, again, yeah. going back to what you said, if the goal of justice is shalom, and Jesus says the way that we get to shalom is not by me taking from you. Right. It's by me giving to you. So that that introduces the problem, right. I think, because we are a me first culture. Yes, we are. Even as Christians, but unfortunately. As Christians, right. Yeah. I think something deeper that you're getting at that I, I love to bring up is when people so in Colorado here a few years back, I don't know if you remember this, um, there was a, a husband who, I, I think he murdered his wife and put her in an oil drum. Do you remember that? Like he drove out vaguely. somewhere. Yeah, vaguely. And he was the one that called the cops and his kid and said like, I don't know where my wife is. Uh, and there was a search and all that. And it turns out they're like, wait a sec. You're the guy. Yeah. That was you. Uh, and maybe the year before that, there was a guy who stabbed his pregnant girlfriend in the belly with a, with a very long blade and an effort to kill this child that he didn't want. Both of those are, you know, secular news stories. They're going constantly. And people's reaction here in Colorado was that's just wrong. Yeah. That is unjust. Right. And at those moments, that's when I, I want to lean in and go, how do you know? Mm -hmm. Like, where is the law? Can you point to the law that says, you are not allowed to attempt to kill the baby with a knife on the, da, 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 you know, very specifically. And, and what, it, what it gets back to for me is everybody wants shalom. They don't necessarily have that language. Right. They want shalom. And, and what, they, what they don't realize is to get it is like what you said, to get to it, 
they think, well, I've got to, I've got to hoard stuff yes. for myself yeah. versus I've got to, I've got to approach life open-handed and, yeah. and give. So the goal is the same. I think whether we're, whatever justice we're talking about, uh-huh. the goal is the same, mm. but the means by which we go about it, because it's a rec- it's a universal recognition. Yeah. People go, that's not right. And you go, okay, cool. How do you know that? Mm-hmm. Who who taught you that that very specific thing right. is wrong? Whatever whatever it is, and and they go, oh, it just is. That's that's most people's mm-hmm. reaction. It's just right. wrong. Well, that that speaks to me that we all come from the same place. Right. The same creator hardwired us. Yeah, yeah. Because right. I think it's wrong too. You yeah. think it's wrong, and right. we we've never spoken or something like this, and we both want what's right. Right. But to get to get to what we both believe is right, which we both have a sense of what right yeah. is. Uh-huh. We're going about it in different ways. That's right. Yours is through me, 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 me. Right. And mine's an attempt to go, okay, you, 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 you. And you're then caught in this tug of war game and where one side kind of constantly despises the other. Or if I can frame it even more um, sort of philosophically and globally, I think one side, the secular side says that in order to achieve justice, shalom, let's say, you know, because I think you're right. I think on some level they are after the same, roughly the same goal on some level, although I think they even understand those two things differently, shalom differently than sure. the Christian perspective sure. or whatever. But let's just say, let's just say for the sake of argument, that is true that they, both sides are going for shalom. The secular uh, world says that in order to achieve it, we have to enforce it. The only way to achieve shalom right. is to use our power to enforce behavior mm. upon human beings, right? right? Regulate human human behavior because human beings left to their own devices will engage in all kinds of excess and all kinds of injustice, right? Or all, all kinds of excess that leads to injustice. And so we have to take this almost totalitarian approach mm. to language, right? You see it all over the place today, to language, to um, moral norms, all kinds of things, right? I mean, all kinds of laws are being proposed and passed right now to enforce, you know, restrictions on speech and assembly and, you know, these rights, of course, in America that we take for granted, right? Like that's one approach is the use of power to enforce a standard that we associate with shalom. And we think that if we can do that, we can then sort of like top down this shalom onto society, right? If we can just find the right set of laws and the right right set of regulations, then we can create shalom on earth, right? Versus the Christian perspective, which is the exact opposite, which is to say, give up all power. We relinquish power mm. in the pursuit of shalom because that's what Jesus does. Because ultimately, right, God is in pursuit of shalom. He sends his son into the world. And what is Jesus, the God of the universe, who has all the power, at yeah. an infinite amount of power in his fingertips, could have enforced shalom with the snap, not even a snap of his fingers, like half a snap. Right. Like, I mean, it doesn't take anything for Jesus to enforce shalom on earth, but that's not the approach he takes. He empties himself, Philippians 2 says, Mm -hmm. and makes himself a servant, even humbles himself to death on a cross. And that powerlessness, that willingness to give up, to relinquish, to let go, to die to self, Jesus did it first. Right. Right, I'm going to give up all of my power in service to humanity, and by doing that, I am going to create the at least the possibility or the opportunity for shalom on earth. And the church called to do the same thing, 
to give up power, to relinquish power, and simply to serve, take all of our privilege, whatever privilege we have, whether it's familial privilege, ethnic privilege, economic privilege, educational privilege, you name it, whatever whatever privilege that we have, and all mm-hmm. of us have privilege to some degree, we take all of that and we relinquish it, we give it up, we use it to lift up others. Right. You know, I had an African-American friend, great friend of mine, he's a pastor out of New Jersey, uh, was an inmate at New Jersey State Prison, that's where I first met him, oh, yeah. he got out, pastor's now, great man. Remember him talking, and I, uh, he and I talking about this in the wake of uh, the George Floyd murder up in Minneapolis, and he, we were talking about this dynamic. We had moved on from like the, the Floyd situation to just talking about race in America and ethnic, ethnicity and the challenges and all those things. And his thing was like, look, I don't, I don't want you, Doug, to have to give up. I don't want to take from you in order to build myself up. I simply need you, like as you're walking through all the doors that are open for you, to hold them open for me. Hmm. And I thought, what a beautiful like image. Right. He's like, I don't, I don't need to take from you to build myself up. I, I, what I need from you is that you would willingly sort of lay down your life to help me sure. get ahead. And I was like, right, I think that's it. And, and, if, and if I'm a brother in Christ, then that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to willingly lay down my life for my brother in Christ so that all these obstacles that he faces as a felon, convicted felon, right? <laughs> right. Right. African-American, like coming from this like impoverished situation, like all of these barriers that he faces that um, rob him on some level of opportunity, right? My job or part of my my interactions with him, our relationship is to do what I can to help eliminate some of those barriers, not to save him because he doesn't need my saving. It's not about a white savior complex. It's really about just doing what I can to come alongside my brother to lift him up you know, and, and to do whatever I need to do in order to do that. If we take that attitude, that perspective, whether it's with someone of a different ethnicity, someone of a different culture, someone of a different language, someone of a different economic status, someone of a different gender, whatever the, whatever the issue might be, if we can take that perspective, that seems to me to be the Christian approach to justice that puts it in deep contrast to the world's approach. To so that was going to be my question yeah. is the... The catchphrase you hear these days is social justice. Correct, right. And I would suggest that there's a massive difference between Christian justice mm-hmm. and social justice, mm-hmm. even though you could make the argument that there is an overlapping. Well, Christian justice should lead to social justice, right? right. Yeah. But when people say social justice, right. define that term. What yeah, that I think mean? what they really mean is that they want justice in society, but they certainly don't want to do it you know, it's, I, the, the, the phrase that I use all the time is they want the kingdom without the king. Right. They want a godless justice. That's right. Yeah. They, they want to be able to enact the standards of justice, which, oh, by the way, look very, very similar to Christian right. understandings of justice. They want that, but they, again, they don't want to do it the way that God has shown, both shown us and commanded us to do it. Right. Right. The way of relinquishment. Mm-hmm. So again, what is it? What is it? If you're not going to, if you're going to reject God's way, if you're going to reject the way of Jesus, right, which we have in this podcast are arguing, this is the better way. Right. You're going to reject that way. Then you're not really left with much other than in order to enact social justice, I've got to accumulate as much power and authority as I can and then enforce it top down on everybody. Enforce my vision hmm. for social justice on this society. And of course, as we know, 
man, different people have all kinds of different ideas as to what social justice actually looks like. Agreed. I mean, the pro-life movement, the pro-choice movement, right? I mean, yep. Republicans and Democrats, progressives and conservatives, all have a vision for social justice. All of them have a vision for social justice. Yeah. It looks radically different depending on who you're talking to. And all of those parties are in competition to accumulate as much power as possible to enact their vision. Sometimes, I, I, I honestly, like, let's give them, like, let's think, I always try to assume the best. Like, I don't think they're, like, most of them are driven by nefarious sort of motives. I think they really do believe in what they are saying. They believe this is actually what's best. It will lead to human flourishing. They believe that with everything they've got. That's why they put so much time and energy and money towards it. So I can appreciate that. I can appreciate that. But again, the way of Jesus is better because it actually gives you the power even when you're powerless, you, you're now receiving power from something outside yeah. yourself to actually lay down your life for those around you, to serve those around you, which then in turn creates justice. It creates the, you know, all the things that, like, again, modern secular society says have to happen in order for social justice to occur, depending on where you stand on the political and social spectrum, like the redistribution of wealth and these right. kinds of things, right? Well, what, what does Jesus say about wealth? We give. Give it up. Well, isn't that not in itself a redistribution on some level? And yet sure, it's not sure. It's not enforced. It's not because Jesus is, you know, you have basically like smacking us around until right. we... No, no, no. Jesus says, look at what I've done. I've given up everything for you. Now I want you to do that for those around you. And if you'll do that for those around you, what will happen? The kingdom of God will start to break in. Mm-hmm. And yeah. that's ultimately where shalom... Right. Shalom follows. Right. Right? Versus, again, secular society, which says, well, you're not going to give, Robbie, so I'm going to tax you within an inch of your life, you know, because I need that money to fund X initiative over here uh-huh. and X initiative over here, um, whatever it might be. Or the opposite, sort of the conservative, fiscal conservative take, which is I'm not going to tax you at all, you know. Because, you know, you have a right to your, your own, own money, money and do whatever you yeah. want with it. Yep. Neither one of those are Christian ideas. Yeah. That's just not how it works, right? I mean, because God says, give it all. Exactly. And I'm not going to coerce you. Right. Yeah. For so, me, it comes down to, it's like the yeah. difference between missions work and humanitarian work. Yes. Right. Right. They're both, They're both after the same thing on some level. Great things. Right. Yeah. I mean, well, we're, we're uh, providing schools right. in Africa to... Right. Fantastic. Right, but the mission the mission work has God as its ultimate right, and and shalom and shalom, right? Like and that's shalom. that's so it's it's fascinating to me because it's when when I do talk to some, sometimes Christians seem to engage in humanitarian mm-hmm. work. Oh yeah, right, and not right. and they they call it Christian yeah. missions and that's you're like, right. nah, yeah, not exactly. Right. I mean, right. you're just building a something or rather yeah, whatever, that's right? right? And then you've got... Which doesn't make it bad. Right. It just means it's different. It's just different. Yeah. And then you've got people who are, you know, we need social justice. Right. And you're like, I think we need godly justice. Yeah, justice. Yeah. <laughs> the way that God <laughs> defines it. And, right. yeah. Yeah. and it's yeah. not that we're, we're after different things, right. but the way we go about it and the, yeah. the ultimate right. is different. Right. And I think it's a posture of the heart. And I think those things matter, particularly when you're engaging with somebody who's crying and waving the flag mm-hmm. of injustice. Right. So I think defining those terms of what, what do you mean by just or unjust and what 
what is your goal and how do you think you're, you're going to get there? That's right. And I think that if you look throughout history, and this is where, again, tagging back to where we, be, you know, the reason why we even began this podcast about how the way of Jesus is better. So the ju- and this to kind of reframe it around this topic, the justice of Jesus is better than the world's justice. Absolutely. I mean, you think about the thousands of years of human history and the thousands of human societies that have existed since the beginning of recorded human history. And we've been after justice. And I don't know that we're any closer today than we ever have been. Right. Maybe we've made some progress. I might argue, and historians like Tom Holland and others have certainly argued that the reason why we've made progress is because of Christianity. Agreed. Okay, like, for instance, universal human rights, right? right? That's a just thing that we've sort of achieved global consensus on, on some level, around the world, and that's a Christian idea. Yep. Based upon the theological concept that every human being is made in the image of God. So yep. without that theological concept, you don't have universal human rights. So there's a lot of work being done in sort of history and these kinds of things that says, okay, whatever justice we've been able to achieve up to this point on some level can be traced back to a, a Christian or a Judeo-Christian, yeah. you know, ethic. form or uh, ethic or those kinds of things. But the point being, I guess, that, you know, the, this idea that we aren't, we've had thousands of years to try and get at this thing. And we seem to be as greedy as ever, yeah. as selfish as ever, uh-huh. as unjust as ever. As quick to denounce others. Yes, yes, uh, yes. We, we don't like difference. Yeah. We're not comfortable with people who look different, act different, speak different languages, whatever it might be, the clash of cultures in our society, all those kinds of things. We're no closer to justice from a human perspective than we've ever been. And that's why, again, I go back to, so maybe maybe we should try yeah, something, something different. <laughs> like maybe the way of Jesus might be at. Maybe. Maybe that would be, you know. And of course, that's our bias is that that is the, the approach by laying down our lives laying down our power, laying down our privilege, laying down the things that we've been given, letting God use those in service to the greater good, the greater cause, the good of my neighbor, the good of those that I live among, the good of those that I live with, the good of those that I work with, all those kinds of things, letting that practically work itself out. I was talking to a CEO, we'll close with this, I was talking to a CEO of a company during COVID, and um, I don't know how common this was or not, but I was really impressed with this guy because he is a Christian and he recognized that so many of his employees were going to be at risk financially um, because of the pandemic. Yeah. And obviously he was not as much at risk financially because he's you know, been the CEO and owner of the company for so many years and has quite a bit of money and those kinds of things. So he willingly, willingly, no one forced him to, no one made him. He made a conscious decision because of his Christian faith to forego his salary so that the company would have more money to make sure they retained all their employees. Now, he also accessed like the PPP loan and these other things too, but that was like part of like the whole thing as he's trying to care for those who don't have the power and the authority that yeah. he has, don't have access to the wealth that he has. He willingly laid down his salary in order for the good of the company. And I thought, you know, there's a great example of a just approach Mm. 
you know, on a very small scale. This yeah. wasn't a huge company, but it was wasn't small either. This just approach to life informed by the gospel. Again, yeah. no one made him do it. He just did it willingly. And I thought, what a beautiful picture. That's and it. again, that's, a, that's what I think the justice of Jesus looks like on just a very, very practical level. Yeah. Any closing thoughts or final thoughts on that, Robbie? I, I think you hit it right there. I think, I don't think it's easy. Yeah. That's, that's one thing. I mean, no, it it's, is it's not. a lot yeah. easier yeah. to yeah. talk Yeah, it wasn't easy for this guy to than, give his up his paycheck, to, to right? Practice, yeah, right. But I, like even hearing that and times in my life when I've either been an agent of it or experienced it, there is a sense of the, a rightness yeah, right. about it. And that's I, right. I crave more of that, I suppose. Oh, I do too. I yeah. do too. Well, thanks as always, Robbie, and thanks to Jake and to Billy behind the glass making us sound good. Uh, please keep listening as, again, we dive deeper in the weeks ahead into what it means to follow Jesus. We love your comments, love your reviews on whatever platform you choose to listen. And uh, please share our podcast with your friends so that we can grow um, grow our kind of base of, of listeners and, and have greater dialogue and, and more fuller dialogue with uh, lots of different people from lots of different walks of life. Subscribe to Stay Tuned as we release more episodes in the weeks ahead. We'll talk to you next time.